Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got a great show for you today, but before we get into it, just wanted to thank you all again for your donations. All we ask for is a buck a show. Uh, what we have learned, however, is that PayPal takes a nice big chunk out of that. There is no better service, at least that I'm aware of, and if there is one, please uh, let me know. But we're using PayPal for these donations. No problem when the donations are a little bit more, if they're bigger numbers, but when they're a buck or two bucks, because they take a transaction fee as well as a percentage, that transaction fee basically means your money's going to PayPal and not to the show. So assuming you don't want to do that, I'm assuming that PayPal probably makes enough money as it is, um, it's better to kind of save this up and send us a bigger chunk of money after you've listened to a few episodes or if you want to get away from the guilt of listening to a few and realize you haven't spent anything or, or sent us anything. Uh, of course, you don't have to if you can't contribute to the show. I totally understand. Um, would just ask you then to share it. That's the whole point of this is getting out knowledge. So put it on Facebook or Instagram or whoever, you know, tell your friends. Uh, the whole point of this is to, to share this incredible, incredible information with our flying community. Um, still taking questions for Bill Belcourt. I'll be going down to Salt Lake here shortly. He's actually leaving for Columbia, so I'm not sure I'm going to grab him before then, but uh, at some point we're going to connect and he's going to host a show just dedicated to answering your questions. So if you've got a cool, cool question or two for the Yoda of the Sky, send it through to me on email or through the Facebook page uh, and I'll get that down to Bill. Joanna Di Gregoli, some of you who uh, pay attention to the paragliding scene probably noticed a couple weeks ago, Joanna went huge in Brazil from Quixada. Uh, she landed just less than 2K short of the female foot launch record that Seiko did uh, about a year and a half ago down in Australia. So huge flight. She beat her personal best by... Uh, let's see, 260 kilometers, I believe. No, sorry, 240 kilometers. So a massive flight for Joanna. Um, but this show is, we recount that incredible flight, which is spectacular and awesome. But it's a lot, it's about a lot more than that. Uh, we talk about her beginnings and how she got into it. Uh, really treasured stories of, you know, wanting to become a bird when she was a kid. And she learned in Caracas. Joanna grew up in Venezuela, lived there until very recently. Things have gotten so bad politically in Venezuela that she's recently moved to Annecy. You've probably seen her work in Cross Country Magazine. She does all the translation for the Spanish version, which Cross Country just launched this last year. Uh, she just got done actually translating my Alaska article, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, but yeah, we talk about some really terrific stuff in this. Uh, uh, flapping really hard to get in. Uh, AKA how Carlos does it, who she's one of her mentors down in Venezuela. Um, her first cross countries, uh, selling her violin so she could fly. Uh, there's not many people I've had on the show that chase it as hard as Joanna. And, uh, and she's had to be really creative about how she does it. Um, she's nailed some huge sponsors over the years. She's been a gen, gen uh, team pilot for quite a long time. Um, had a really scary accident down at the Super Final in Colombia in 2013, uh, where she walked away unscathed un incredibly. So some really good stories here and some really heartfelt, deep, and, and sometimes pretty hard stuff. So I think you're going to enjoy it. We get off to kind of a slow start, but stick with it. Um, yeah, an amazing, bold, big, adventurous woman in a tiny little package. Uh, I love having women on the show because they just uh, are so much more free with how they 
their perspectives and their emotions and how they deal with what we all deal with, but they're a little bit more honest about it. So I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Joanna DeGregoli. Awesome to have you on the show. Uh, first off, huge congratulations. We're going to be talking about your flight, uh, I'm sure, here at some point. But why don't you tell me, uh, are you still down in Brazil? Or are you are you celebrating, or where are you at? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's uh, it's an honor. <laughs> and um, well, I'm in Canada right now. I'm in Ottawa. I stopped by to visit my parents and sister who live here, and then I'm going back home to France. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm still overwhelmed about my my flight, and I'm basically resting after <laughs> waking up every day at five in the morning, going to bed at nine, or driving the the, the whole night. And I missed my flight in Fortaleza, so I had to sleep at the airport <laughs> and fly the whole night to Canada. So I'm ba- basically resting. <laughs> yeah, chasing records is hard work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I I've heard the stories, but it's not until you're there and you you fly and you come back home and you drive the whole night on a dirt road that you you know what it is about. <laughs> and do you did you guys hire uh, chase teams and that kind of thing, or how did, how does it, I haven't been to Brazil? How does it work down there? Well, I before I left, I went over to Seiko's to have dinner, and uh, she and Pierre they recommended me this guy called Paulo uh, Rocha. He he offers a service that you you hire him, you pay every day, and he follows you on a map. You have you have to have a spot, of course, or a mm-hmm. alarm, and he follows you and he coordinates his drivers to follow you. So. Right before you land, he already knows you've landed. Of course, you, you push the OK button, and he knows where you're at, you're at. But they're following you real time, and they know where to send the drivers. So it's mm-hmm. really well organized. He uh, he knows his thing, and there, it's only three pilots per car. So it's not like you're retrieving a bunch of people, and he organized himself. So, for example, my, my two big flights, I was coming back home on my own with the driver. So it's not like one guy had to, you know, put up with that to, to, to retrieve someone else further and then drive the whole night with me. And so it was, it was very well organized. It was, it was right. Was this your first trip to Brazil? Yeah, my first ever. I've been wanting there, wanting to go there for ages, mm. but I must admit I was too scared to go <laughs> because I mean I, I saw the videos on takeoff of people getting you know blown away and pushed flying backwards and everything and I was I was kind of scared as and also it was always at the end of the year so I always run out of money from like my sponsor's money I already uh, spent it all. So this year it was different because I was going to go to the to the European Championships as in non-European, but that was full, so they couldn't take non-Europeans. And then I was going to go to the Spanish Championships, and that got canceled because of airspace issues. And so I said, well, this year you have the money, and you know, woman up and, <laughs> and go. 
<laughs> I like that. I've never heard that. Woman up. That's great. Well, let's say that's, um, that's, that's something Bella and I came up with once flying cross country together and I said, okay, woman up and just go flying. Stop whining and fly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So you, you touched on, on quite a few things there that I actually want to circle back to, um, uh, comps and for sure your big flight and, uh, this, this, your, your, PB, your record. Um, but before we go there, uh, I understand, I, I kind of want to get back into your history a little bit, because I think a lot of our listeners may not know too much about it, but you're, I, I understand you've just recently moved to France. You're in Annecy, is that right? Yeah, I'm from Venezuela, and I just moved to France, uh, well, because uh, maybe you know the, the country, Venezuela is a bit of a mess right now. Yeah. So I finally decided to move to, to France. I work with Cross Country Magazine and in char- I'm in charge of the Spanish magazine. I'm a translator. So uh, yeah, I've been flying competitions since 2002 and competing internationally t- since 2005 and nonstop competing World Cups, World Championships and well, lately a little bit less of that. But still, I I'm still in the try to stay in the competition scene, and well, of course, I love cross country and hiking, flying as well. And yep. where where were you when you were in Venezuela? Um, I imagined you were hanging out with Carlos quite a bit. Is he still there? Is, are, were you in Caracas? Yeah, I was in in Caracas, and uh, you you mean Carlos Cordido? Yeah. Yeah, we used to fly in the same place in in Caracas, in a place called Oripoto which is great because you fly next to the city and it's, it's next to your house and you can do like very short triangles and, and conditions are really great. So yeah, it's a great place for training and the top landing is technical. So, and there aren't that many landings around, so it's a, it's a great place for training. So yeah, we, we used to fly a lot there together. I, I, uh, I, I had an underappreciation for what, how you could flap in a glider until, uh, I think Nick Grease and I and a few other guys, we bombed out one day in Valle at the, uh, I don't know if it was the World Cup or the Super Final a couple of years ago, I can't remember, but uh, Carlos came into the same place. Uh, he was flying the the old Super Final Ice Peak 6, you know, the black and green one that they that, that Nivea yeah. made that first year, a beautiful glider. And, uh, and I... I mean, I, I thought I knew how to flap, but man, that dude flaps. It was like, yeah, he, and he told me he a, was he's learning. He's a master. Oh my, it was, it, and actually after that, I started practicing that maneuver, but with height, not right near the ground. I would just do it up in the sky and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like really stalled it and then opened it up and then stalled it. And I got yeah. a really new appreciation. And he said he learned that from, from having to land in these tiny little yards in, in Caracas. Yeah, and that's that's how we top land in Oripoto. You just come and you just flap your glider to stay in the same place. And I mean, I think if you fly in that place, you li- really learn the limits of your glider. I mean, how much you can break it. And uh, I mean, you need to know how not to stall a glider. And that's a great place for it because, you know, if you stall it, then you just you know, you, you fall in a, in a few meters high and, and you can get hurt. So yeah, he's a master of that. I remember on that that glider we called it the the black pearl, mm. <laughs> the, the perla, perla negra. We call his glider, and you could hear hear the plastic inside. I mean, how it used to sound, and and also when he had the the R10, it was the same thing. You could hear the plastic bending inside when he was flapping. So, 
yeah, he's he's the master flapper. <laughs> <laughs> the master flapper, yeah, he he absolutely is. Your your name, Grigoli. What 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 kind of name is that? The Grigoli is an Italian last name. Okay. My dad is from Italy. He was born in in Palermo in Sicily, and he migrated to Venezuela with with his family when he was eleven years old. So yeah, I'm I could say I'm half Italian. Okay. <laughs> like like this. Well, I could I could spend the whole rest of the hour talking to you about Venezuela. It's a it's a very dear, precious place to my heart. I've done quite a bit of sailing there and quite a bit of uh, overground uh, travel um, back when things were a lot different. It must be just devastating to see what's going on there. I I, I don't know what to say about that. It's just terrible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a beautiful country with great weather, great flying, great people. And, uh, I mean, it just, I was the last one in my family to leave just because I didn't want to leave. Mm. And, uh, then I had to think with my head and not with, with my heart to, you know, to know that I was missing a lot of life because I was living there. And I said, well, yeah, someday I'm going to be old and then I'm not going to be able to do some stuff like hiking, flying and maybe cross country flying. So, or maybe I, I, I won't want to. So now that I'm young. I'd like to, you know, to do that. And here in Venezuela, I, I can't at the moment. So, yeah, it was heartbreaking to leave. And now to see my friends and family struggling there to get basic stuff like toilet paper. But um, I really hope someday it will be the, the country it used to. And who knows? Maybe go back. Mm. Who knows? Mm. <laughs> Well, I look forward to, uh, I didn't know you were doing the Spanish translating for the magazine. I look forward to uh, reading the article in, in Spanish. My, my Spanish has, has suffered in the last few years because I'm not spending much time in, in uh, Latin-speaking countries, but that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be fun. I, I didn't know you were doing well, actually, that. Actually, I, I, I translate your, your skipper column all the time, and now at the moment I'm working on, on your Alaska article, which is, I mean, I'm totally overwhelmed from what you did and I'm it's amazing what you guys accomplished <laughs> it was really kind of Ed and the editors to to run it so long I was surprised that you know I, I wrote that originally for the Patagonia blog and it was quite long and Ed said yeah I, I want it that long but just add a bunch more flying <laughs> really <laughs> you want it longer <laughs> so yeah I, I I'm sorry that you have to translate such a long, <laughs> such a long piece no but... I mean it's a, it's a pleasure when when I translate stories like that, it's just like, you know, you get the chills and everything because uh, you get into you, into the adventure. And because when you're a translator, you had to you have to try to transmit not only, you know, not only translate the words, but to for people maybe who know you and who speak Spanish and English, that when they read my article, my translation in Spanish, that they can imagine you talking so it's not only translating and making it working spanish it's, it's also trying to translate the personality of the author into spanish so yeah i like that ah, <laughs> it's a challenge I bet. But I like well I'm, <laughs> especially it's easier when i know the person so it's right. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm. Well, I'm. I'm glad it's you because you get to you translate all the, the little the, you know the skipper columns. But you know we've got a little bit of history and you, we know each other and that yeah that's 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 great. Um, let's dive into that. I I would love to hear uh, how you got into flying, when you got into it, what the impetus was, 
and um, and take me through a little bit of your uh, progression and training because I know you're you're uh, you're super passionate about it and you're getting after it. Uh, I know you're flying for gin. Um, can we tap into some of that stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, flying is something that began since I was born. I mean, when I, my mom, she would keep my, my drawings and, you know, when you used to just, uh, scribble things that, you know, used to draw and things didn't make sense. My mom, she used to write on, on the back of the, uh, of the, of the page where, what it was and everything was something that flew. It was a flying boat. I, it was a flying train. It was a plane. Wow. And so I used to draw about uh, flying up since I was a, a little uh, a baby, and I was just uh, marveled up about everything that flew. I used to say that I, when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be a bird. And my mom, she had to explain to me that you, I couldn't be a bird, that I was going to be a woman, but not a bird. <laughs> <laughs> and then little did when, she know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then when we, when I was like three years old, my parents, they took us to a trip, uh, to actually to California. They, they rented a camper van and motorhome and we drove all over the place. We went to this Sequoia National Park and we went to all these cool places and we went to this place, to this beach. And I'm not sure if it was Torrey Pines because my parents, they don't remember, but there was a guy who was going to take off on a hand glider. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough wind for him to take off, so he was just uh, maybe assembling or disassembling his glider. And my mom, she told me that she explained to me that that guy was gonna was gonna fly on that thing, and she told me that I just went like what? <laughs> that it was too much for me to handle as a three year old, and uh, that I understood what she told me, and I was just amazed about that this guy was this guy was gonna fly on this thing made of metal and tissue. And so after that I became obsessed about hang gliders and everything was about hang gliders and uh, skydivers and stuff. And then I when I was like nine years old, I started seeing from my house, I started seeing paragliders and I said, What is that? Is that that's not a, a parachute? And I remember we were we were driving on a highway, we were going out of town and this guy lands next to the highway. And I was like, Mom, what, 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 what the hell is that? And is that a parachute? And, well, that doesn't look like a parachute. It's something else. And then I found that it, that was a paraglider. It was a guy flying, flying from Loma Lisa, which is a famous cross-country site in Venezuela, where they did a couple of World Cups a long time ago. And he had just bombed out, but he I don't know what he was doing. Now, now that I understand, I don't know what he was doing there. But anyway, I was just amazed that you could do that and then I started of course there was an internet at the time but I started seeing on tv and and I saw these guys these people um putting paragliders in their backpacks and walking I was like wow and since I'm I'm so tiny I'm only uh, a meter 55 I'm five one and I'm really tiny I said well, I mean a hang glider just looks huge and this looks so big this looks so cool so as I grew up I was completely obsessed about it and of course I did a lot of, a lot of sports always I was into gymnastics and basketball and athletics and I sucked at all <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I, I really liked uh, sports and so so anyway I, I, when I was 17 years old uh, I was on my last year of high school my school they took us to uh, 
for a trip. It was a like four day trip, and at this they took us to some camp. And there was a guy. He he was a hang glider pilot, and he was like, "No way, no way, you you fly." So he told me, "Yeah," and he gave me the phone number of a paragliding school. And I, I still have that piece of paper that this guy gave me. So when I came back home and I said, Mom, look at this. This guy gave me the phone number of paragliding school. I already called. And the, the course costs this much. And it, it's about this and that. And he said, well, there's no way you're going to get my permission to, to, to take paragliding lessons. When you're of age and with your own money, you can do whatever you want. But now it's no. <laughs> so uh, I was kind of disappointed. Then I saw, I remember there was they had a they had a wind tunnel close to Caracas, and my mom said, "Well, that maybe maybe you could do that." So after that, after I graduated from high school, I I went to the U.S. for a year uh, as an exchange student, and I lived with a family, and it was a great year. But I never forgot about flying. I was still obsessed about it. And when I came back home, I remember I said, "Well, mom, I I really like to go to the wind tunnel." And she couldn't believe that I hadn't forgotten about it. <laughs> she was like, let's take you to the wind tunnel. So unfortunately, they, they closed it. And so I couldn't do it, but I was still obsessed about it. Then um, I, 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 all the time, like every every few months, I would call to, to the, the paragliding school and I would hear how the price of the course was increasing and I said well I'm 18 years old but I don't have a job and stuff and and so finally when I was 21 I was able to gather enough money for the course and I mean the the first weekend I mean you just ground handle but the the second day of the course I remember it was maybe 11 in the morning so there were a few bubbles already on, on the ground and I remember I was grand hand, I was running with the glider, and the thing would just lift me up maybe half a meter or maybe less. And just the feeling of being lift up, lift up. And I said, okay, this is it. This is my thing. And I didn't need to do a tandem before. And it was just that feeling of being lifted in the ground. It was so magical that up till now, 16 years later, it's still my favorite part of paragliding, takeoff. So, so yeah, I got, I totally got hooked into paragliding from the first day or, or maybe the second when I got lift up. And from that then on, it was just a fever. I mean, it was just uh, something that my body needed mm. that needed to go flying every week. And at the time I had a boyfriend, he, he's, he was a vet or he's a vet. And he could only go flying every other weekend. So I told him, well, hon, you know, I need to fly every weekend. <laughs> so with or without you, I'm going to go flying. He wasn't very happy about that, but well, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I needed to go flying. And I finally, I, it was finally a sport that I felt that it was my thing. And I was progressing very fast. Of course, I always try to keep it safe because I, I knew the risks. And I said, well... And I remember my my instructor, he told me this is something you need to find your own pace of progression and you need to go slowly, otherwise you can get hurt. So I took that seriously. And, you know, of course, women, you know, we have a special self-preservation instinct <laughs> that's very mysterious. And maybe that makes us, you know, go slower. I don't know if, if I'm wrong. 
but at least that's that's my case. I took it very seriously, very slowly, and I progressed. Maybe I was too conservative. Maybe I'm still too conservative, but that was my way to do it. And then two years later, well, I discovered cross country, and when I when I started thermaling, you, you discovered I like, cross country in Caracas, in Venezuela. No, I couldn't fly in Caracas at the beginning because since it's a, such a technical flight. I remember that they let me do like a little uh, sled ride in, in in Caracas, but I was flying in El Jarillo and Placibel, which is uh, an hour and a half from Caracas. And I remember the first time I took a thermal and I could see beyond the mountain. I mean, what it was be that what there was behind that mountain. I said, "Wow!" So so they told me, "Yeah, you can go places and people fly distances." And I start reading and. I said, wow, this is cool. So I remember I felt like uh, caged in that place. So I went to another place, and when I was able to go from one thermal to the other, I said, this is awesome. Then when I was able to go to the next ridge, I, I said, well, this is the most amazing thing. So they, once a friend of mine told me, how would you like to go cross-country? And I said, well, that sounds cool. But, you know, I flew two years without a vario. And he told me, well, to go there, you need a vario because we need to tell you more or less what height you need to, to cross some places. I said, okay, well, let's get that vario thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a vario. And I remember I was in my car driving. And I switched it on my car. And I said, well, this thing makes too much noise. What, 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 what the hell? I mean, how, how can people fly with this thing? It's so annoying. So I remember I flew with it in on my first flight. I flew uh, like 15 k's, and I just I was just I landed. I was just jumping. <laughs> it was so cool. Of course, people were flying uh, their competition gliders and stuff, and I was on a Gin Bandit uh, uh, DHV2 of the time. And but that was a great glider to progress. And I flew 15 k's. And on my third flight, my third cross country flight, I flew 44 k's. And I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I said, this, this is so cool. You, you just go and you land somewhere you don't know you're going to land. And you have this little adventure when you land. You meet people. Of course, in Venezuela, adventures are a little bit um, hotter than some, <laughs> <laughs> some places. I mean, you have to be careful. And, uh, but still, I mean, you would meet people. You meet farmers. And, and you have this little, you go up in a horse and people help, help you on a motorcycle. And I said, oh, yeah, this is my thing. Then I started competitions in 2002. I, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't want to uh, get into competitions, but then people said, well, you know, you, you learn a lot from other people and you push your limits a little bit. And I said, okay, let's register in this competition. So, but, but I was really frustrated because at the time they were making like this really long task. And like the first turn point was like 50 Ks away. I'm like, I've never found 50 Ks. How am I going to get to the first turn point? <laughs> So I was frustrated. I said, well, we flew, I mean, I don't know, I remember how many tasks, maybe three or four tasks. I mean, I'm, I, the competition is over and I didn't even get to the turn point. I don't like, I don't like competitions. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Well, then, well, everybody was doing competitions and I said, well, it's, it's, it's fun to hang out with these people. You get to meet a lot of pilots. And then I got hooked. Yeah, I got hooked and it's like a, I, it got, I got addicted to it, and and then I, I, I started to fly well, and I said, whoa, look at this, finally a sport, I can do something. 
And in 2005, I did my first international competition. It was the Rolda Open in Colombia. It was a pre-PWC. I, I, I was first. <laughs> I was first female and I was 23rd overall. I was flying a gradient Aspen one at the time. And I wanted to, there was a world championship that year in Valadares. Were you, um, let me just in, jump in here real quick. Were you, were you working something else or were you, how were you, how are you uh, traveling and were, were you just couch surfing, dirt bagging it, or did you have another job and then you could go paragliding when you weren't working or how, how was all that kind of fitting into it? Well, uh, I started college pretty late because I, I had really bad grades mm -hmm. in high school. So I didn't start college on, up until the year 2000, the same year I started okay. paragliding. So um, I went to, to the university and I was teaching English I was to, to kids. I was working as a tutor. Uh, there were just kids going to bilingual schools and they had a lot of homework in English, so I was tutoring them. And so in the mornings I went to, to college and then in the afternoon I was, I was teaching. Okay. So that's how I could afford okay. lighting. So, but I, to go to, to Colombia and I, you know, I used, I studied music for a long time. I sold my violin to go to oh. Colombia and my mom, she just, Oh me. man, that's a big move. <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't playing anymore. I switched to playing the mandolin. So I said, well, mom, I'm not, playing the violin anymore can I can I sell it and she said well okay but then when she heard that I was that I sold it for to go to the competition she mm, got mad yeah <laughs> she thought I was gonna sell it I don't know to to do to get a better car or something <laughs> not I don't to know. go but fly. it was good so I went to Colombia and I remember in, at the end of the trip I ran out of money I didn't have I couldn't afford the hotel so a friend of mine, he had to lend me money to do it. But at the time, since I wanted to go to the World Championships and all the registration fee was $500, I said, well, that I can't afford, plus a plane ticket, plus a hotel, food, whatever. And I said, well, it's uh, I, I'm going to go go look for sponsors. And everybody laughed at me. They said, well, are you crazy? Or what do you think you're doing in soccer? This is uh, paragliding in Venezuela. You're, you're crazy. I, I, was, I went out to look for sponsors. And, you know, every day on the phone, like, like crazy. And uh, I didn't find anything for Brazil. But I, I didn't quit. I'm, I'm very stubborn. <laughs> when I, I want to get something, I just, you know, I... I do whatever whatever it takes to do it, and so I didn't give up. I mean, I um, I'm like that. When people tell me no, that's impossible, maybe that encourages me more to to do something. So that year, 2005, I I I wanted to go to Europe after the World Championship, and the World Championship was very frustrating, frustrating because after winning in Colombia. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I can do it. And I go to Brazil and everybody's in their comp gliders. And I go to world championship with DHV2. I mean, what am I thinking? And I go there and I bomb out the first day, like in the first term. And I was like, what? And I remember one day I bomb out with uh, Nicole McLearn from Canada. And I have this on tape. And she said, well, you know, I thought I was actually good. And then I come here and, and Reality hits me that we suck. 
<laughs> and I felt like that, but I remember that image. We were bombed out together in the middle of nowhere, and she tells me that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, that was a, a slap on the face. And I said, oh, well, that, that's reality. So you, you still have a long way to go. You, you have to get a better glider, and you have tons to, to learn. That year, I wanted to go to Europe for a competition, and I managed to go to the um, uh, Czech Open. And there was a pre-PWC and a Czech Open in Slovenia. And I managed to to get Red Bull Venezuela to sponsor a plane ticket for me. And uh, unfortunately, the weather sucked. And we flew like one task in three oh. weeks. <laughs> and, yeah, it was horrible. They all got canceled. They all got stuck. So, yeah. Um, uh, I, I went to the competition and it got I, it was frustrating because I couldn't do anything because of the weather. But it was a great experience. I got to meet people and I got Gradient to sponsor me. I met uh, Andre Dupal from Gradient on that competition and well, I told him that I wanted to progress and do comps and he well he sponsored me a glider. So a few months later, he sent me a glider an Avax XE1 which I did amazing things with that glider. That really, glider really got my confidence up. And, and I, I managed to progress uh, really fast with it. I did nice flights with it. I did um, a record in Venezuela to 98 k kilometers, which well, for me at the time was like, ooh, cool. From then on, then I, I really quit my job. And I said, well, if I want to find sponsors, I need to focus on this. And I was, I was dating uh, a guy who then became my husband, and he was very successful at that, uh, finding sponsors, and he was a, uh, an ultralight pilot, and he was sponsored by the oil company, by North Face, and he flew expeditions on his trike. He flew all over the continent uh, from, you know, the from Venezuela to Argentina and then back up, up to the U.S. And, and back. And he's Venezuelan? Caribbean. Yeah. And well, um, he helped me a lot. We, we met because of that. And then we, we, we dated. We eventually got married. <laughs> and, um, and well, slowly I started building myself uh, a name. I worked really hard and I met people from the media and I learned how to uh, market yourself and to deliver, to make news. I went in 2006, I remember I went to Monarca, and that was an amazing experience. I got the strongest thermal mm. I've ever got, 11 mm. meters per second. Never forget. Oh, proper vibe. <laughs> yeah. And, well, then I started flying workups in 2007. And that's when I really, I, I really said, well, I need to, to progress. And that was a big level, big level competition, and I and I think I wasn't ready for workups yet, and I didn't have the glider. I was still flying my my Avex. After that, it was workups, world championships, uh, and I managed to to get sponsors, and I managed to not live but survive our sponsors, and I got big brands like the phone company Ford and Nasty to to sponsor me. But I was never making any results, and I was like important ones. I would, let's say, win like Spanish championships and Nordics, and do some some stuff here and there. But I would I never did anything important in um, up until 2010. 
in which I in, in that was a year my husband and I split up and I just took all the money I had <laughs> and I bought a plane ticket and I flew every single competition that I that I that I found <laughs> that year I went to uh, Chilean that was my first World Cup podium and, and that was the uh that was the year I mean that's that's the one when you talk to Russ and I mean you talked to everybody about that that was before my competition time I was flying then but I was I was running a boat around the world back then so I wasn't wasn't around much but uh that the 2010 PwC was that was the year right that was the one they all talk about with the you know coming back into goal at the at the soccer field you know as the sun was going down on the last day isn't that the one yeah I remember that day that yeah People were, I, I didn't make it to goal, but I, I landed like right on the edge of the rim. But that, that, that was a, a magical week. I mean, we had great tasks. The organization was great. And, uh, mm, and I won it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was really amazing. And that got my confidence up after a shitty year of a failed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that that was the year I got Gene to sponsor me. I I talked to him and I said, well, you know, I've always wanted to be in the Gene team, and I really admire admire you, and I feel the Gene team is a little family, and I'd like to belong. And he said, well, sure. Do you have some time to come to Korea? And I said, yeah, I'll find the time. <laughs> and I went to Korea, and I spent a magical month there. Jin designed me a prototype uh, for me. He was uh, working on the Boomerang 8 prototype. And, and since I was a little scared of two-liners, <laughs> he made a, a three-liner prototype, which was an amazing machine. So far, my favorite glider ever. Because, of course, it turned the way I wanted. It climbed the way I wanted. It did everything the way I wanted. And it had amazing performance. So after that, we went to the super final in Turkey. And well, I, I didn't do so well, <laughs> but that, that really, that really changed my, my life. And, and, you know, Jin, he's a guy, he has a special magic and he, he can really make you feel special. And that was, a, that was a great month for me. And it, it, that lifted up my, my spirit and because I was going through a, a crappy time. And then I went, went home after all those months Traveling, I was traveling for five months. I went to every single PwC that year in China, in Korea, in Japan, in Italy, in everywhere. And, and the Women's Open, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, and what else? And Spanish Open, you name it. I, I, I did it last year, that, that year. In January of the next year of 2011, I still had that super cool glider. And that was a year of the um, first PwC in Colombia. So I got there the week before. I had to fly the Rolda Open. And, well, I did really great. Um, and between the, the, that Rolda Open and the PwC, I learned that my husband had died. He crashed in, uh, in Ecuador in, on his ultralight. And, well, we were, we were still married and in contact. So... Yeah, yeah, we were going up the, the hill on the, on the bus for the training day of the PwC, and I got a text from a friend telling me the news, and I just felt like my world fell apart. 
I was finally getting out of the hole of that hole of um, set, uh, splitting up, and then I just poof, fell back again in the hole. While I was dealing with that news, I remember going out of the, when we finally got to takeoff, and you know, I was all my friends were around me, and I just didn't know what was going on. I would just I just couldn't believe it, and I was trying to understand and trying to figure out what to do if I should go back or to Venezuela or if I needed to go to Ecuador. I had no idea what was my role. And I remember that I told my friends, you know, you guys go fly. I mean, just go fly. I mean, it's that's what we're here for. I don't, I don't feel like flying, but I like you guys to go flying. And I, while I'm there crying, I remember seeing gliders flying over me and I realized, you know, the world keeps spinning. I mean, the world's going to stop. It's not going to stop spinning because your husband died and you feel like shit. So I said, well, you just keep going. I mean, you need to keep going. A friend of mine, he, Raul Penso, he, I remember he told me, I mean, why don't you just stay? I mean, he told me, I know we're not friends, but why don't you just stay? And I said, well, what am I going to do home? I'm just going to go home and cry. So I'd rather stay here and fly if I feel like and or watch people fly. And I remember Xavier Murillo, he told me, well, you, you can go home. We can refund your, your entry fee. I said, no, no, I'd like to stay. I mean, at least here I, I have to get up because I have to do something. And I, if I go home, I'm just going to uh, get depressed and maybe sleep the whole day and cry. And that's not, that's not going to take me anywhere. I stay there. I flew every day. <laughs> I landed when I feel like, like when I felt like I wanted to land. Yeah, of course, I didn't do anything as a result. Obviously, <laughs> I think it was a it was a great a good idea to stay. And then I I went home and had to deal with that. And well, of course, to that 2011 was not the best year for me. I also lost Ford as a sponsor. And but of course, I I mean I didn't go give up I said well I need to keep going and so I, I kept going flying competing and uh, then 2012 came and oh, of course in 2011 we had that problem with the gliders uh, I got my boom eight and I flew it like maybe 10 flights and I really liked it and then the accidents happened in fit right and I got scared. After that, I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to fly this glider. I mean, it's not, it hasn't done anything to me, but I, maybe uh, two um, liners are still, in, like we say in Spanish, mm, yeah, in yeah, diapers. Yeah. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't evolved much and they still, the, the designers are still maybe figuring out how they work. So I think I'm going to wait a little bit for this technology. So I took a GTO one. And yeah, that was a fun glider to have. But then the super final came in January. That was that was a hard super final. People were struggling. People with the boomerang X were stretching their lines every every day. People already had the Ensos. The girls we didn't have anything. Uh, we were all on GTOs, Mantra Force, and I remember the frustration of the of the girls and of many pilots in that competition either because their gliders didn't work or because they didn't have a glider. And, uh, and of course, it was Valle. You know, it's a lot of pressure and it's it's rough. And that was kind of a special year in Valle. It rained and 
that was the first time I saw rain in Bali, and so well, that was a really bad super final. Actually, I, I, um, I didn't fly the last two days. Yeah, I, I wasn't feeling well. Um, I mean, I kind of was like, you know, when you you deal with depression, you just go up and down, up and down. It's like like a roller coaster. And Valle was a low in this in this stage um, <laughs> in your career. So kind of 2010, 11, you're dealing with your your ex and the death. Um, were you were you do you were you flying a lot outside of competitions as well? I mean, it sounds like you're so passionate about flying. Is it, or was it really? Um, it was it was most of the hours you were getting in comps? No, I I went flying every single weekend whenever I could, and sometimes I didn't feel like flying, but I I enjoyed being there on takeoff and watch people fly and talk to my friends. I needed company. I really needed company, and I said I I knew that I it wasn't it wasn't healthy to be alone. I said I mean it's better to talk to your friends, talk about flying, cry a little, have a beer, all that. So yeah, I was I was going flying or at least to try to fly. But then in 2011, after that super final, that very frustrating super final in in Valle. I, I, I was feeling a little bit better and the the, um, the cross country season was was really nice. I I flew 160 Ks in Venezuela. That was a big, big flight for me and up until now that was What? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that was my personal 160 to four hundred and, and I flew it. <laughs> yeah, and I flew it I flew it in, in uh in two thousand eleven. Oh and uh <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Brazil then. Yeah, because... <laughs> yeah, you yeah, smashed it. Holy <laughs> shit, that's incredible. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that lifted that lift my, my spirit a little bit to, to break that record. And, of course, that, that in 2012, I, uh, I went to Europe and I competed that year. I got Nesty as a, as a sponsor, and that was, that was huge. That was very huge. I, you know, you felt important. They had like a media person just for you. You got a lot of uh, uh, branding material, like T-shirts and stuff, and that was that was really huge. And uh, that year, I was third uh, on the PwC in Macedonia, and I think that's been the hardest podium in my life because it was a great week. It, we flew. I think we flew every day. One task got stopped and what one task uh, we didn't fly so i think we have like five tasks and conditions were good the level was high i mean all the girls were there um claudia petra uh seiko was in there that year and uh i mean the level was really high and i remember i was i screwed up the first day i got my boomex for the first uh, for the first task and i remember launching on it and i said it's a GTO, but faster. It's a GTO, but faster. Just think that it's a GTO, but faster. <laughs> because I am I never change. Uh, I'm very conservative. So, for example, I never fly a new glider on a place that I don't know, for example. Or I don't change two things at the same time. I, I would never change harness and, har- and glider at the same time. I, I don't know. That's something, that's something that I learned, that you shouldn't change too many things. So, uh, because, you know, I don't believe in luck and I believe that, um, that luck is, um, is a number of variables that you can 
handle. So if you if you know the glider, if you fly in conditions that you can handle, etc., you're you're gonna fly well. It's not a matter of luck that you had an accident or that you don't have an accident. That's at least what I I believe. So I I got my that glider, and I said, well, you're gonna fly in a competition. I mean, you've never done that. But well, I, <laughs> it turned out okay. I said, well, at least you know the place. It's not a it's not a turbulent place. It's not a super strong place. So you're gonna be you're gonna do well. I was bummed out on the first day, and I I got intimidated. And I remember thinking that they said, well, well, what's going on? You, you've been here for a week. You like the place. So are you going to get intimidated because you're flying with all these World Cup uh, pilots? I mean, come on, <laughs> just push the bar. <laughs> and uh, so I remember I said from test two on, I was like on it. I was pushing. I remember Richard Galone, he came and said, Take it easy. Mm, Don't go out on your own. <laughs> Stay with us. <laughs> I was fifth up until the, the, I think the second to the last day. On the last day, I did really well. I said, well, maybe I can come climb up to fourth. I'm, I'm happy about that. But the prize giving was like an hour away, and I was in my room. I was like taking a shower, changing, just surfing the, the net. And I said, oh, let's let's see if they polish the results already. So I got on the results. And I see that I'm third. I was like, what? <laughs> I remember I got on my bed and I started jumping. <laughs> like, I was just jumping on my own. I, I wasn't even screaming or anything. I remember I had my phone in my hand and I was just jumping in my bed all excited. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I said, I, I did it. I remember I called my best friend in Venezuela and she started crying on the phone and she said, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Persistence <laughs> pays off. Yeah. yeah, that was a major high. Yeah, so 2012, it started pretty bad, but it turned out pretty good. And uh, then 2013, I, I went to the P, to the Super Final in Colombia. And, I mean, I, I enjoyed the Super Final. And uh, we were there, and it was the last day. You remember, they didn't want people to fly on the fire. So the last day, they sent us through the mountains. And I was so tired. So... And I was doing so bad in the comp that I remember I was flying with Petra, who was also doing bad in the comp. And uh, we were just, you know, giggling in, in thermals and yelling at each other and, and laughing. And we were just enjoying our last flight in, in Colombia, just flying, not competing anymore. And we were in the mountains late in the afternoon. And it was rough. It was strong. I wasn't having a good time. And I said, well, should I go land? Okay, just Go to the next room, turn point, next thermal. You're with Petra. Just stay with your friend. We we were climbing in this six meter per, th- per second, and uh, we get up to cloud, cloud base. She goes out first, and I go out next. And I remember we're climbing at six meters per second, and I have my brakes in my hand. I was like, okay, 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 okay. And then all of a sudden, my glider just blows up. Poof. My my left wingtip stays open. I try to counter counter the the turn, and I I, I push I pull on the on the right uh, brake, and I try to pump the left side, but of course there's no pressure because I have maybe 80 90 percent of my glider closed, and all of a sudden I feel like I get pulled like a like a puppet, like a marionette, and whenever I have blowups. In which they haven't meant much, but whenever I got a frontal, I remember the first thing I do is I grab my my riser so I don't get twisted. But this was so violent that I couldn't even grab my my risers. 
and Whoa. I got tumbled over the glider. While that was happening, I was like, really? Is this happening? So I said, well, so this is what an infinite tumble feels like. I, got, I tumbled over the glider and I fell on my back. I mean, it's not like, you, you know, you fall like Superman style. No, no, I fell on my back. And um, when, I, when I fall, finally, I, I get twisted in like one, two million times. And I started spinning. And I said, okay, time for a research. <laughs> I'm going to test my Beamer too. <laughs> so I, I started spinning really fast, but it was like right from the, next, from the first turn, it was really fast. So I reached for my reserve and I can't take it out, get it out. So I try to pull it really fast and it starts spinning faster and faster and faster. And I start pulling and I start getting worried. I said, oh my God, is this not, it's not coming out. Because, because you couldn't, because you couldn't, you were just in a position where you couldn't pull it very hard or there's something wrong. Well, there was something wrong. I could, I pulled the handle, but the package wasn't coming out. I started getting worried. So I said, okay, try to, try to untwist. So as soon as I lift my head up, I, the, the G forces, they locked my head and I couldn't get twisted because I had like a million twists and I said, okay, um, let's reach for your line, line cutter. So I let's say, well, if I cut maybe one part of the glider, it's going to start spinning slower and maybe I can get my reserve out. I couldn't, I couldn't reach my, my line cutter because I mean, I just couldn't. <laughs> It was next to my shoulder, but I just couldn't get it out of the thing. So I tried it for my reserve again, nothing. I tried to get my other hand, and of course I can't reach my left hand. I, I, can, I can't reach my, my reserve with my left hand. So I said, well, game over. And uh, I know it's really high. I remember when everything started, I was like 2,800 meters. And although we were over the, the mountain ridge, it was still pretty high so okay okay this it's over so I remember I crossed my arms and I said well uh, let's wait for it I just hope it doesn't hurt and uh, I started thinking oh my god my brother's birthday are it's uh, it's in two days oh my god my best friend is gonna get married in a few in a few months all these things started to go through my head and I said oh my god I always said that this wasn't going to happen to me. That's what I always promised my parents, but I can't do anything about it. I, I even thought, should I get the GoPro out and say something? No. Oh my God. <laughs> That's how long it took to come down 1000 meters spinning. Wow. So I just, I remember I just stood there and I said, I just, please, please God, don't, don't. I hope it's just one wham. I hope it's just one big wham. And then I, it doesn't hurt. And I couldn't see, look down to see how far I was. I knew I was far, but I didn't know how far it was. So I, I couldn't brace and say, three, two, one. No, I couldn't because I couldn't see how far I was from the ground. Yeah, and my, my head was locked uh, back. So I couldn't, my, I tried to reach my chin and try, I tried to move my head, but I, I just couldn't. And whenever I took my, my arms out, they would just you know fly away because of the G-forces. It was really violent. So finally, I feel these branches, and I remember I start reaching for branches, maybe to slow the thing a little bit, and then I just hit the ground, and I'm like, I'm alive. Uh, okay, let's do the check. Okay, fingers, check. Toes, check. Legs, check. Okay, wait a few seconds. Back. Okay, the back doesn't hurt. Okay, I can, get, I can stand up. 
So I remember I stood up, I took on my harness, everything out, and I'm sitting on a dead log, uh, on a trunk, on a dead trunk. And I mean, uh, like it was a dead tree, actually. It was laying down and I was sitting there uh, half a meter from the ground. And I stay up, but of course, everything's still turning. And I remember I look at my instruments. I had a sea pilot at the time and I said, wow, the screen didn't break. <laughs> You know, because I mean, that was after that impact, I, you know, how fragile sea pilots are. And I thought the thing was going to be destroyed. Yeah. And I was surprised that nothing happened to me and not even my, my, my sea pilot broke. Was your, what, did your wing get hung up as you well, went in? Well, apparently there were very little trees, maybe two meters up. My, uh, as I came in, my handle, they, it must have got stuck in, in a branch and the reserve got out. So uh, I was looking at, I was trying to understand what that was. I thought, okay, that's my reserve. It was partly hanging out from the container. So it didn't get deployed. It just got out. And so I said, okay, that, that was, now it's a good time for wow. you to come out of a harness. I remember. <laughs> so, well, I, well, I saw everything was okay. I just had a splinter in my, in my, my finger. That's all I had. Then I, I remember I took the radio and I said, oh, my God, Petra, so all that. So I take the radio out and I said, Petra, I'm fine. Keep flying. And she was like, what the hell? Keep flying. Where are you? I don't see you. What happened? Oh, she didn't see anything. So I said, well, I'm in the trees, but I'm fine. So you just keep flying. And she didn't hear someone. Then I, I heard a, a male pilot. I don't know who he was. He said, she says she's fine. Just that you should keep flying. Then my phone rings. It's Nicky Moss. And say, I just heard the thing on the radio. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I'm going to change frequency and I'm going to give you the coordinates. So then these people, this, I hear this yelling on the, in the forest. And uh, so I say, hey, I'm here. So these this guys come and they're part of a rescue team who had their base on the mountain. And uh, he said, well, we're sorry. We didn't have time to put our uniforms on. <laughs> Only one of them had his, his, his <laughs> uniform on. He said, no, we're part of a rescue team here. And uh, we saw you spinning, so we just ran. The trees were so tiny, I mean, so young and so, I mean, so, so, so short, so little that they didn't even have to cut anything. We just bent the branches and took the glider out. That's how... Yeah. So I remember we like, we put everything in the backpack and we walked to the to the road and I was five meters from the road from a dirt road. Of course, if I hit the road, <laughs> that would that would be a different story. So they everything happened so fast. These guys they took. I mean, I was out of the forest in ten minutes, and um, I talked to the, to Chris, the retreat guy from the PwC, and I told him, well, I asked them, is there a bus or anything that uh, goes down to the valley and they told me yeah the, the bus should be here in, in a half an hour so I said well don't even come and pick me up I mean just it's gonna take a long time I'll just have someone meet me down in the valley so these guys they got me on the motorcycles and they dropped me off in a in a little store I remember I got I got a drink and that's when it hit me I that's when I just broke into tears and everything and just realized what just happened and then, well, I remember a friend of mine, uh, Andrea Jaramillo from Colombia, she wasn't flying in that comp, she was working. And she told me, well, you want us to meet you there so you don't have to go back uh, with a random retrieve driver that we go back uh, in a girly car. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need girl support. <laughs> 
So she had another pilot. They picked me up, and um, yeah, I came back, and you know, it was too much to handle what just happened to me. So that that's something that really marked my flying career, and I think my flying was never the same after that because I after that I really wanted to fly, but I remember going to take off at home and crying because I wanted to fly, but I, I was just scared, too scared to do it. So I would just do like uh, sled rides late in the afternoon, and I wanted to step down to an easier glider, but at the time there wasn't anything. Uh, Jin was getting the, uh, the, career, the Carrera out, and they didn't have it in my size, so there wasn't anything that I could fly. Yeah, so I didn't know what to do, but I said, I, I don't want to stop flying. So I remember I went to the PwC in Baixuandu in Brazil. Every, every day, I would just panic in the air, really panic. And it was really strange because after three weeks after the competition, I went to a competition at home, and I flew really well. I was flying. I said, well, that's just great. The accident didn't affect me at all. But I don't know what happened. After a few months, it, it, really, it really affected me, and I was totally panicking in the air. In Basho Wandu, I was just flying down every single day, and I was wishing I could push a button when I was in the air to just push a button and be on the ground. That's how scared I was. It was it was really, really hard. So I, I remember when I came home, one day I was driving, and my phone rang, and I get this strange phone number on the screen, and it was Jim. He said, Joanna, we just uh, certified the Boomerang Salps, and I think that's the perfect glider for you to heal and everything. I just... Sand it, <laughs> sand it. Mm. So um, finally got the, the the glider, but it was in September, and that glider really helped me heal. It was an easy glider. It was a different glider, and the feeling of a mm. light—I had never flown a light glider before, light material. So I remember flying that glider mm-hmm. really helped me. Just the way it moved, the way it absorbed the turbulence. And how easy it was to to launch and to fly, how undemanding it was. Finally, I felt like I was coming back to my flying. Uh, the year later, we in the, the next summer, I was in Slovenia, in Italy actually. Uh, the last day after the competition, um, we went for a cross country with Isabella Messenger and Steve Etherington from the UK and I. We had this magical flight. We took off from Italy and we flew north. And apparently that route is not very common because of the wind. But that day there was a very light south. So we flew north and we it wasn't a big distance. It was 75 kilometers, but it was so magical. And we flew over these amazing mountains that I remember Bella told me, you're back. <laughs> when we landed, mm. we were just happy and hugging and everything. And she told me, I mean, you're back. And I said... Yeah, my confidence level definitely went up a notch. Do you still do you still since that time do those does that accident still haunt you or or do you really feel like you kind of turned over uh, a, a new leaf there on the flight with with Bella? Was that kind of the was, was that the end of it or do you still really kind of battle with that fear? No, I still battle with it. I mean, it it comes mm. back and sometimes I feel good and sometimes I don't feel that good. I mean, that that flight really changed me. I felt like I was flying better. But every now and then, I still feel that that accident haunts me. Now I'm like, when I fly high, I say, okay, I'm high enough for the reserve. That's why, that's what I'm thinking now. Sometimes if 
if I don't have a good motivation to fly, if I don't have a plan, I I get scared. I don't know for why. I get bored, I get scared, and I want to land. It's really strange. So usually um, every now and then I have to battle and I have to say, okay, keep going. Go to the next thermal. Go to the next ridge. I have to set myself uh, short-term goals in order to 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 fly. Or I say, oh, well, just try to stay in the air 45 minutes. And then after I'm in the air for 45 minutes, I say, okay, now let's make it an hour. So, yeah, sometimes I, I battle and I I really haven't figured out why it comes and goes. Yeah, it's it's really strange. And it, people have told me that they honestly thought that I was going to stop flying. And I said, well, why? It's just the thing I love the most in life. And uh, why should I stop flying? So I just battle with it. And I remember that the Federation at home, they they said, well, they weren't going to support me anymore because they gave us uh, like a, a letter so we could ask for permission to buy foreign currency at home because it was forbidden. Mm-hmm. So they told me, well, we're just not going to support you anymore because you're not fit for flying. I said, well, just then if you really want to help me, get me a shrink. <laughs> get a sports <laughs> psychologist who helps me deal with it. And they didn't do it. So I had to deal with it mm-hmm. myself and I had to find my own therapy. And that really helped me, that that therapy. Still, I, I have to battle and I don't know if I'll ever if it'll ever be the same. And I don't know if for example now I I ask myself, since I haven't been able to fly a comp glider for so long because I'm I'm so small, I say, Well, do I really want to fly those gliders anymore? Uh, because now I, I have a GTO too and so I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely uh, something that comes back to you, and it's something that I have to deal uh, in every flight almost. There's a there's kind of a recurring theme with. Um, thank you for sharing all that. By the way, it's it, some of that's pretty heavy, but I, I'm I'm glad you did. I I think that you know one of the really recurring themes with with that we have uh, with guests that have been around that have flown for a long time. You know, everybody has. Uh, a scary story to tell. I mean, that's, that's paragliding yeah. and, um, and coming back from it has been, uh, you know, I think different for everybody, but there's this, there's these two common threads that are, um, fear, uh, on the one hand and fun on the other. Yeah. Uh, and it's been stressed over and over again that if, you know, if it's not fun, it's not worth it. Um, and, and, and fear is one of these where it seems like, you know, we need some fear because that's what keeps us alive. Uh, you know, you you don't want to be fearless, but too much fear can really, um, you know, I've personally seen quite a few really pretty bad accidents when you, and of course it's always 2020 hindsight, isn't it? When you look back and you think, God, yeah, but you know, they shouldn't have been flying there. They were, they were flying really scared. So it's, um, yeah, I think you, you know, there's, there's enough and then there's too much, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I've always told people that when they, they ask me, well, like people like non-pilots, that they ask me, um, aren't you scared? And I say, well, the day I'm not scared, I'm not going to take off. Because fear is what helps you see reality. You, you have to use it in your favor. And you, you can't uh, allow it to, to be against you. Because if you have if you're too scared, you're going to panic and you're not going to react accordingly to the situation. In as you say, if you're fearless, you're going to put yourself in a dangerous situation and you're going to get hurt. 
So I always say that fear is my ally. And then when I saw that I was panicking in the air, I said, well, this is not, this is not good because it's, I could get, I could also get hurt because then I would panic and I don't know how I'm going to react. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's make a jump here, uh, just because I, I want to be mindful of your, your time too. But, uh, so your, your, your longest flight, uh, uh until a week ago was 160 K exactly. and, uh, and then you go to Brazil and I read with fascination, you, you did a little kind of a blog post on it. It sounded, uh, this, you know, sometimes I think it, not to knock flatland, flatland flying at all, but sometimes those days just line up and uh, the cloud streets are amazing. And, you know, but I've, I haven't, I haven't flown Brazil, but I hear stories, you know, I, I did the chasing the flats numbers down in Australia mm-hmm. a few years ago. So I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of it's, it's an endurance run. It's really hard. You know, you're up all night driving home and then you're up in the morning early, especially in Brazil. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, I hear stories from the guys doing, you know, trying to get the record in Texas that it can be pretty daunting, uh, terrain, but it sounded like your flight was, it wasn't just a, you know, get out of the, the, the terrible windy launch, which I've seen horrendous videos of. So I understand why you were pretty scared to go there and fly that place. It looks, it looks terrifying. Um, but it, it didn't sound like a, uh, you know, a slam dunk. It sounded, it sounded technical and difficult at times. And yeah, I want to replay the flight for us that, and again, congratulations. It is not every day we get to fly 400. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I got there the first day and I just said, well, I'm going to go for a, for a test flight. I said, I'm just going to go for 100 Ks. And I ended up flying 306 Ks. And and that was a perfect day. Either. That was your first day? Yeah, the first day was, was wow. 306. And because I just kept going, I said, well, let's just break your personal best. Well, let's make it 200. Well, let's go 250. I said, what the hell? Just keep going. <laughs> Stop Stop thinking, just keep going. And that was a easy, perfect day up until the end that there was some rain. Actually, I stopped. I could have flown maybe 350, and um, but I didn't want to land anywhere uh, or even get even close to, to the rain. So I landed at 306. Then I did uh, 222 flights, then another um, 93 k flights, and then uh, 346. And then a very horrible... And this is all Kishida? Huh? Yeah, all Kishida. This is all Kishida? Yeah, all Kishida. So the last day started really different. The driver was late, and we got to take off, and it was cloudy again. And and I said, well, maybe it's not a great day, but let's say goodbye to Kishida with a 100K flight at least. So a guy say, an Italian guy said, he said, I I looked at the weather. Today looks like a 400-day K a K day because uh, the wind's going to get stronger. So I recommend that you take off early. Uh, so <laughs> I go off early and I noticed that it was windier. I mean, the takeoff was perfect. I mean, it was, I think, the best takeoff that I had the whole week, although I had a little cravat, but it, it didn't get, you know, blown away. So, but, you know, we saw up, uh, up to the cloud and I said, well, I'm, I'm flying backwards. Okay, let's push bar. It looks windier than the other days. So, okay, just be patient. After my bomb out of the few days before, I said, wow, just don't go out that early. Just be patient. Sebas Ospina from Colombia, he left really early, and I didn't hear from him. 
Then Kevin, I think his last name is Philip from Switzerland. I saw him leave and I saw him work a little rich. So I said, well, it's, it's working already. So when Brett Sangling left, I left behind him and uh, we worked together the first bit and it was beautiful. The first bit was great. The clouds were kind of big, but it was working already. So we followed this, this uh, cloud street up, up to Kicharamobim, which is about 30 k's from takeoff. And uh, then the day started opening up really well, and we continued up to Boaviagem, which is about 70 k's. Then there, I there was a, a blue hole. The clouds ended there, and I saw the Italian some guys, some Italian guys um, landing. And I said, well, maybe it's, it was their first day there, so they didn't know it. And I said, well, maybe they didn't, don't like it that there's, there are no clouds and they don't know where to go. I didn't know where anywhere else was. And I said, well, I'm just going to keep going anyway. It's the last day. <laughs> Why not? So after Boaviagem, I go to the ridge. And as I'm going to the ridge, there was, there's a quarry, and I saw the dust is blowing horizontally and I said uh oh <laughs> it looks windy so I go to the ridge and I try to climb and I can't catch it thermal and whenever I face the wind I was flying backwards and I said okay I don't like this okay let's just fly away and let's land in the next valley and uh as I go I said well the fields were pretty tiny and I said well if I fly backwards I risk uh, landing on a tree so well I find a thermal, it was horrible, it was turbulent, it was very badly organized, but I, I was climbing. <laughs> so I just climbed and I drifted, I don't know how many Ks, but I drifted quite a bit up to the next ridge. And I said, okay, let's try the next valley to land. And I see that I'm flying backwards even faster. My my GPS was telling me minus 10 Ks an hour. And I said, okay, I didn't know you could have negative numbers in your, in your <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Navitor, for that info. So, um, so yeah, I said, okay. I said, I think it's safer that you stay in the air. And the day seems like it's working. It was completely blue. There were some clouds, but they were really far away. I said, okay, but it's, the day's working. So just try to stay in the air. So, well. I go on the next thermal and, I, and then the next valley, and it was the same story. Just, just you know, assessing the conditions, seeing if if I it was if it was safer to land or to stay in the air, and it didn't look pretty. Then I finally made it to the flatlands after 100 k's, and uh, and it it looked worse every time I was uh, looking at the conditions. It looked worked I, worse. I was flying faster when I was still when I was like 90 k's an hour and I was, when I was facing the wind I was in in negative uh, numbers so I said well just okay now it's a flat line so it should be less turbulent uh, just keep going so I go into flatlands and I keep flying and it was slightly better but in terms of turbulence but every time I, I, I hit the, the inversion, it was this really strong inversion and you could see it. And it was really bumpy at the inversion and you couldn't break it. Once you broke it uh, in some thermals, it was slightly better. Yeah, so I keep going in, in the flats and it was still strong, turbulent until, um, I don't remember the name of the town, but it was kind of like the, the end of the, when the 200K mark is. 
it, there's another like a little plateau that begins uh, at around 220. So I get next to the, the close to that plateau, and I hit a really low point. It's okay. You're done. You're gonna land. You're gonna fly backwards. Okay. Get prepared. It's plenty of room. <laughs> and uh, there's a little hill, and I go to the. It was the lee of that hill because I go on the front and there's nothing. I go to the lee, and I find this nasty thermal. I mean, I swear it was horrible. The, the glider was just, you know, when you you can't center the core because it's so windy and you don't know how it's drifting and the, the thermal is not letting you in. It's literally like that. Finally, a vulture saved my life. <laughs> he, he showed me, he said, okay, come on, you, you rookie. This is how it goes. Yeah. Come here. <laughs> so I went where the vulture was and I said, thank you, little vulture. I'm going to make you a statue someday. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I turned with the vulture and, and I climbed really high, higher than the other thermals. And I said, well, let's go to the plateau. It's usually less windy there. So I'll just go there. And there was a, a major fire on my line. I said, why? Why a, fi- a fire where I'm going? I mean, couldn't you burn the thing somewhere else? <laughs> so I said, okay, be a woman, go. So I go, but I said, I'm not going to get in the fire. There's got to be something around the fire. It was like, unfortunately, it was like that. Next to the fire, I found a, uh, it was maybe a two meter up. Well, I thought it was a two meter up, but it was a two meter away because the thermal was not climbing. It was drifting horizontally. This fire, I swear, it was like a football field big and that a fire like that, it would normally go up, the you know the smoke. Yeah, but there's that much smoke, wind. Wow. Yeah, there was so much wind that the fire, the smoke was completely horizontal. I actually one of my photos that I posted is a, a, a video grab, and it looks you can see the the smoke that is horizontal. So I said, well, just drift with this thing until it's over. That's when I got my my. Fastest speed. I was. I looked at the barrier, at the GPS, and I, it, it was there was a, it was a hundred k's an hour tail tailwind. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I cried, and I said, "I don't want to land here. Please let me drift with this thing." And yeah, I I realized that it was in a situation that it was out of control. I I never felt that vulnerable in my life. I mean, I've always felt little. When you fly, sometimes when you see this huge landscape and you realize you're a tiny little uh, feather or a leaf. Yeah, just, just getting blown around. Yeah, exactly. But I never felt vulnerable. And here I felt this is it's, this is too too much for a paraglider. I mean, if I had a hang glider or a sailplane, I mean, it would be more manageable. But this is too much for a paraglider. So, well, it's beeping. So there's a Spanish pilot called Chechu. And uh, he says in Spanish, si pita giro y si no tiro. It means if it beeps, I turn. And if it doesn't, I push. So it's beeping. So, yeah, so if, if it's beeping, so I'm going to keep turning. So I drifted that thermal for maybe 40 kilometers up until that plateau ended. And, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Just frisbeeing along. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. a good term, frisbeeing along. Up until the plateau ended and there was a valley 
the mountains were beautiful. And I said, I want to take pictures and I can't. <laughs> so I was just trying to enjoy the view while I was surviving. Finally, I made it out of that place because it was a valley that was kind of narrow. I made it out of that place and I, it, there I was all, uh, about 270 Ks. And then I looked at my GPS and I was cruising at 70. I said, well, that's better. Seven, not 100, that's better. So that's when things started to get better. And then when I looked at the time and I said, hey, I think you can make uh, 400 because um, Seba Sospina told me that Rafael Saladini recommended him that he should be at 200 at 1230. So I was at 200 at 115. So it was too late. So I said, well, just fly as far as you can to fly away from this wind. But then when I when I was like uh, 270 and I look at, at, at the time, I said, well, maybe I could do it. So just fly faster. The thermals got better there and nicer and better organized. I finally hit 3,000. And I said, well, just don't screw up. Keep going. Don't screw up. So I, I arrived to, I remember 306 that I looked at, that was my first uh, good flight in, in Brazil. And I kept going and there were some clouds in uh, really far away. So I said, well, you know this this place, just this area, you know it already, you know where to go. So just keep going. So I was enjoying these thermals that I went up to 3000. Finally, I was able to eat. Finally, I was able to drink, to take the camera out, to take some pictures. And yeah, I was, um, when I was gliding, I, I was going like 70, 60. So now was, you're having just pure fun. That's yeah. Now good. I'm finally having fun, enjoying the view, making, you know, decisions as where to go to make the flying longer and not landing. <laughs> I, I remember I hit 380 and I said, well, you still have like an hour to fly. So don't screw up. And I I went to the small fire and it worked really well, but not really high. I was maybe 2,500 and I was like, oops, I didn't expect that. I thought I was going to go up higher. So up, uh, then it, there were a lot, lots of fires. So I said, you just jump from fire to fire and you're going to make the record <laughs> that it sounded pretty easy in theory well since that thermal was over i go to the next fire and when i got there there was nothing it was like no way i mean it's it, the flames were when i got there the flames were getting bigger so I, I think i was i arrived at the end of the cycle and too early for the next one yeah i went all over the place uh, behind the smoke on the side of the smoke and nothing so i said well this is this is the end. So just uh, glide and find a safe place to fly. I remember I was flying over a river. It was beautiful. It was just, uh, you know, waiting all over the, the flats. It was really beautiful. And the sun was hitting it. So it was like a mirror and everything's so dry there. That when you, and especially this year that when I saw that amount of water, it was like, wow, this is, this is pretty. So I remember I said, well, just get, uh, directly tailwind. Just get your the, Go the as fast wind, as you your, can. Yeah, the wind in your butt and try to fly as fast and as far as you can. So then I, I just relaxed and I was flying along a road, so it was perfect. And I saw this field and there was another fire. And I said, well, maybe I would find something that would drift me and maybe. 
but now there was nothing. And so I just said, well, I, I enjoyed my, my final glide and I chose a field and around, around it, there were, there were other fields, but they, they, they had more trees. And I said, well, you don't want a tree land on your last day and you're not going to break the record. So just land in a safe place. Don't, I, I said, well, if I break the record, I don't mind landing on a tree, but you're not going to break. So I just go and I swear it was the longest glide of my life. Because the GPS was showing me 398 forever. <laughs> then 399 forever. I was like, come on. And I was looking at the ground. And I said, well, you'll have to turn around soon because there's a house. And yeah. you won't be able to make it any further. So as soon as I said, it said 400, I said, well, you have a few meters. So I kept going a few meters. I turned around. I faced the wind. I had a perfect landing. Wow, I just couldn't believe it. But, you know, it was strange because I had mixed feelings. I I was super happy about my flight. I just couldn't believe that I had just flown 400 Ks. I was really happy to be safe in the ground after such, a, such extreme conditions. But I was upset that I was so close to the record. Because maybe if I'd flown 380, I'd say, well, I was still far from the record, 20. 22Ks, but being only 2Ks away, even less than 2Ks, it was like 1K in 100 meters, something like that. Oh. It's uh, so close to the record. It's just a, it's a hundred, it's a hundred meters of better climb and your last climb, you know, it's just, it's just nothing, isn't it? It's just so close. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I think I've never landed with so many mixed feelings because you usually get like two mixed feelings, but not three. <laughs> So, but then they said, well, just, what, are you stupid or what? You just flew 400 kilometers. Enjoy, enjoy it. And now enjoy whatever adventure is going to come and the people who's going to come and uh, talk to you. So the, my first priority when I landed was getting rid of my diaper. <laughs> ah, yes. Right. Of course. <laughs> and uh, because, well, you know, I, I, I peed so many times. It was a mess. So, but I didn't care. In the air, I was like, I'm peeing and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so these two guys, they come and they say hi. And I explained that I came from Kishida and stuff. And when I when they saw that I that I took my harness off, they started laughing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know what you're laughing <laughs> So well, they, weren't, they weren't that interested. And so I, I, before I saw many people coming, I just ran to, to the bushes and I... I changed my clothes and everything. And of course, Brazil and people in that area are the nicest that I've ever seen. Every day that I landed, people invited me to their homes, invited me to, for, for lunch or dinner, uh, gave me water, juice. One guy, he gave me a bag full of mangoes and bananas. It, it was amazing. So I, I, I wanted to pack really fast because it was getting dark. So we packed and we got to the road. And I just, you know, put my, my glider there next to the road. And this lady, she says, uh, well, you know, our, our house is just across the road. Do you want to sit there and stay with us? I was like, well, yeah. And uh, so they took a, a, a chair out. These guys, they live in a adobe house. It was, you know, made of dirt. And they were really poor, but uh, we got to talking. And when they, I told them that I didn't know when my, where, the, when the driver was going to come, said, so would you like some Brazilian coffee? And I said, of course I want some Brazilian coffee. They got coffee out, cake out, 
this other guy, he came by bike and he was with a little girl who stood there and he didn't, she didn't say a word uh, all the time that I was there. And, but then he told me, well, she just heard that you were a woman and she just wanted to see you. So while I was talking to these people, it was night already, but she was just staring at me. Yeah, but she was amazed that because she just came because she knew it was she heard it was a woman, so she just wanted to to see me. Finally, I asked her her name and her age, and you know she she talked a little bit, but it was great. We were just staring at the star. It was completely dark, and uh, we were we couldn't even see our faces. We were just sitting there next to the road, and we were looking at the stars. And uh, and this guy was just telling me how much how how much he enjoyed living there because it was so peaceful that he, he went to Sao Paulo once and he didn't like it. That moment with that family, I mean, I, th- I think it's always going to stay in my head and in my in my memory. And they hugged me when I left and, you know, it's just it was just amazing. Oh, of course, it helps that I speak Portuguese so I could, you know, it, it, the communication is easier. Mm. It wasn't just the flying, it was also the sharing it, with people. It never, um, it never is, is it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's why we love going far is because getting home is half the fun. Exactly. And I, I, I've gathered a bunch of stories and I've been planning to write a book about it. It's just not about flying after what happens when you land because. You know, of course, flying is great. It's an adventure. We get to see the Earth from a unique perspective. But after you land, you meet, you have, you don't know what's going to happen, really, because in the air, you know, okay, the glider is going to do this, and if you know, you know how to handle a glider and how thermals feel, but you don't know what's going to happen when you land. So I think that's also one of my favorite parts of paragliding: the people you you meet when you you land. I'm overwhelmed because I don't, I never post anything on Facebook. I I have my athlete page and that's where I post things related to paragliding. But on my personal page, I never post anything. And I just posted the track and I said, this is not, this has been the toughest flight of my life. And all these messages, I've been getting messages on WhatsApp, on Facebook or Instagram, everything. And I mean, they're generally happy about what I did. And mm. uh, yeah, one guy, he's, he really said a really... Uh, authentic comment he posted fuck Joanna this is amazing congratulations <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah and uh and you fuck Joanna it is amazing it was that's uh, congratulations um it's it's really cool to hear about the flight and uh you know I think that it's just you know from my own experiences uh going kind of my my big flight here was a few years ago and it's like you said there's there's mixed feelings about it all i think it's very dangerous for us to you know to chase numbers but at the same time it's very rewarding and fun and and uh, but i i can sympathize with the mixed feelings and i mean i think it's just so much more important isn't it for us to enjoy the process and and you know the little flights as much as the big flights because it's it's a reminder of you know i think i think if we get too uh, you know if we if we if we chase these numbers too much we lose the beauty of the small ones you know and just exactly. just the just the stepping off the ground and and going for a little sledder can be just as just as precious can it well, you know what that reminded me of when I was having all these mixed feelings is that when you get to go and you see this, all these sad faces and people throwing helmets around and kicking harnesses, 
that they just had an amazing flight and they're upset because they arrived late to go. And I said, uh, yeah, I mean, don't do that. Just feel happy. And yeah, it was, it was very brief, but I, I, it reminded me of that when, that I, when I've seen people do that kind of stuff, that they just flew up, up, you know, around these beautiful mountains and they, they flew around all these people and, and they're upset because they didn't make a good result. So yeah, I said, well, don't don't lose the perspective. You just did something amazing, and you had a great experience. And uh, be open. What's going to happen in the in the next few hours? And of course, then the the entire night because we we drove the whole night and we got home at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't lose perspective. You even can't. even <clears throat> when you bump out, you just need to. You know, analyze your flight, learn from your mistake. I usually play back the, the flight in my mind, and I try to uh, learn from the mistake. See, see what I did well, so I can repeat it, and see what I did wrong, so I can uh, avoid it on the next flight. Yeah. Well, great. Let's uh, let's end it there because that's great advice, and it's uh, it's timely and it's true. And um, yeah, again, congratulations. Uh, so psyched for you i'm sure you'll you'll have that one in your little back pocket forever and now now you've got a much bigger personal best to beat <laughs> you've gone yeah, you've gone from 160 to 400 so so uh yeah you're gonna have to hunt a, a little harder but but uh i'm thrilled but i like challenges yes so, of course of course so i think uh it's it's going to be a great goal to try to achieve. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, enjoy your time with your family there in Ottawa, and I look forward to seeing you this spring out in, in Annecy. That'll be one of the first stops as I prep for the yeah. X-Alps. So uh, we'll see you in your new home, a be very beautiful home. I think if there was one one other place in the world that I could live other than my little paradise here, it would certainly be there. So yeah, enjoy <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks, Joanna. Thanks for your time. And uh, thanks for sharing Thank these stories. And, and we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, what a cool gal and, and a great conversation. I can't wait to fly with her again uh, in Annecy this spring as I get ready for the X-Alps. Uh, again, all we ask for is a buck show. If you enjoyed this or one of the previous episodes, and I implore you to go back and check those out if you haven't or if you're just, first, if you're just discovering the show. There's so much great knowledge there. I uh, appreciate it. If you've got suggestions to, for about the show or ways we can improve or people you want to have on it, just reach out to me at cloudbasedmayhem.com. You'll find the contact page there, or you can reach out to me via email or Facebook or Instagram or however you want to do that. Um, some of you are who do follow me on Facebook uh, saw I just put up an article about insurance. This is more related to U.S.-based pilots, but uh, I've put out some information on some of the past shows that uh, – well, was mostly accurate, but... 
the GEOS uh, coverage, both the SAR and the Medevac coverage that is offered automatically through DeLorme and Spot when you sign up, uh, both of those have paragliding and hang gliding exclusions. And so I've written up a big article about what you need both when you're home and when you're traveling abroad. And we have an insurance policy through our boat, my other business, the Offshore Odysseys, uh, group policy that definitely covers paragliding. You don't need to be going on the boat. You don't have to have any relation with, with us whatsoever in terms of going to the boat. Uh, we're developing our own insurance plan, uh, also hopefully with Ushpa. And so that'll be dedicated towards that. But until that time, you're welcome to use this insurance policy. It's way cheaper than anything else you can get, at least than I know of, and it definitely covers paragliding. So uh, go on to cloudbasedmayhem.com. You'll find that link on there. It's called Unscrambling Insurance. Are you covered? Check that out. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. I hope that helps for your travels this winter or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere this uh, summer, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Cheers.